So congratulations, Papa Graham. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. <clears throat> Say your daughter's name for me. Ilva. Does it does it require the um, the facial expression that I can hear you making over the? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> This podcast is sponsored by New Relic. To track and optimize your application's performance, go to rubyrogues.com slash new relic. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. This episode is sponsored by JetBrains, makers of RubyMine. If you like having an IDE that provides great inline debugging tools, built-in version control, and intelligent code insight and refactorings, check out RubyMine by going to jetbrains.com slash ruby. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 66 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have James Edward Gray. Hello. We also have David Brady. Hey, everybody. We have Josh Susser. Hey, again. Avdi Grimm. Hello. And uh, while it's true I am sick today, uh, rumors that the virus has taken control of some of my uh, brain functions are completely unfounded. Although I do have an inexplicable urge to climb to the top of a blade of grass until I'm eaten by a sheep. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv and this week we have a special guest and that is Sarah May. Is it May or Mai? May, yep, you got it. Um, from Railsbridge, you want to introduce yourself real quick and, and tell us about yourself? I sure. Guess, um, I guess the two are the same, right? <laughs> <laughs> it must be early. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, it's early here, too. Um, uh, my name is Sarah May. I'm a Ruby developer at Pivotal Labs. And I also, about three years ago, co-founded a nonprofit called Railsbridge. And our goal is to make the Ruby and Rails community open to people that historically have been under- underrepresented. And our main project right now is workshops that we put on for women who want to learn Ruby. We've been doing those for about three years in San Francisco. They're free workshops. We've released all of our materials and all of our stuff. We're sort of running it like an open source project, even though there's not a whole lot of code involved. Um, We take pull requests. And uh, we are expanding to a bunch of other cities. We've had quite a few RailsBridge workshops before conferences. We have one in Madison, I believe, this this, uh, this month. Uh, and we've had a lot of people go and run their own conference somewhere else or run their own workshop somewhere else following our pattern, which has been really awesome too. And uh, over that time, my, my original goal in, in doing this was to not be the only woman at the San Francisco Ruby meetups. And we pretty much accomplished that in the first year. We went, I think we were sort of holding steady at about 20% uh, women at the Ruby meetups in San Francisco. Uh, and so... After that happened, then I started expanding a little bit uh, what my goals for the program were. And uh, one of the things I realized is that is that I really like Ruby, and I really like the Ruby community, and I would like it to continue to thrive. And uh, for most open source communities, uh, that means bringing new people in. So my goal now is to bring a lot of new people into Ruby and show them how awesome it is. Awesome. So I remember, man, when was it? it was 2008, I think, I was at RailsConf, and um, I was talking to some folks, and I think it was uh, Dana Jones, is that is that right? I think she was talking about it. Yeah, we had a lot of people who uh, who started out helping us out on Railbridge uh, when we first founded it, and uh, they all did a bunch of different projects, and some of them are still running today. We have, uh, there's a Rails Mentors program, there's a 
Um, the bug mash rails bug mash was a rails is a rails bridge project, uh, and those projects kind of come and go as people have time to do them. The workshop seems to have a life of their own, <laughs> but uh, but we do have other projects that we're working on, and um, once in a while we can make progress on one of those too. But this is all all in our free time. So nice. like. I'm uh, just going off of what I've gleaned from Josh here, but it sounds like you've had pretty sweeping success here. Like, uh, I mean, you've mentioned that the attendance at the at the meetups is going up, but I didn't. It doesn't go. Garuko have like a very large number of women speakers this year, due largely to your efforts and stuff. Uh, probably not due to my efforts. Probably mostly due to Josh's efforts. But I think that. Uh, it, one of the things that's interesting that I that I was reading about is that if you have a startup company and there's a woman in your founding group, even if she's not an engineer, that makes it much more likely that as the company grows, you'll have a more balanced engineering team. And the theory there is that uh, if you're not the first one, it's a lot easier. So I think the fact that Sandy was already signed up for the conference made it more comfortable for women to submit proposals. Uh, and then I think what Josh did with sort of the blind reading of the proposals also helped. Yeah, that was an idea that um, that I think I mentioned it on the on the last podcast we did. That I, I got um, reading Eric Reese's blog talking about diversity and hiring, and they they blinded the the resumes to uh, the identity of the candidate. And Eric found that oh wow, suddenly I have a lot more women who are coming in for interviews. So we we just wanted to do that in general for not just for diversity, but for also for balancing against celebrities versus uh, you know new speakers. And but I I, I think the thing that uh, that really made that possible is that we had so many women who submitted proposals this year. Yeah, I did a little bit of cheerleading in that regard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome. That's so, really sweet. So I, I want to clarify something really quickly about um, RailsBridge. Um, RailsBridge is about helping people come into the community, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I think a lot of people kind of get a little confused and they think that it's all about bringing women into the community. And and I, I, I've i seen some of the RailsBridge events and it seems like they're open to anybody, not just to women. And, and I, I, I'm hoping you can clarify uh, some of that. Yeah, I think that we're... Personally, I'm really interested in, in bringing in all types of new people. Uh, I think that we have had the most success with our gender-based stuff because we, the, the woman who runs it with me, Sarah Allen, she and I know a lot of women, which makes it really helpful. It makes it really easy to recruit people <laughs> to show up to the workshops, at least initially when we were getting going. And uh, so we've, and we don't have a lot of contacts in other like communities of color, for example. So we've been looking for partners to help us reach out to those communities as well. But like you said about the about the events, our events are open to everyone. Our, our goal is really to introduce people to the Ruby community. So we really want the Ruby community to come out and teach or TA, volunteer, help us out or even attend, maybe bring someone, family member to be a student. Uh, and because we really want to integrate them into the community. We don't want a little pod of women who know Ruby and they only know each other. We really want them to become part of the local community that they live in. Mm -hmm. So, so how do you find people that are interested in in joining the community in your area? Well, in in San Francisco, we haven't thought about that too much because our events tend to fill up within a few days of posting them. We seem to have an inexhaustible supply. <laughs> right. 
uh, but we have done a little bit of, of, of raising of people we know who are um, Java developers or PHP developers and try and get them to come. Uh, we've also, uh, we get actually a lot of people who are project managers or program managers at companies that use Rails and just want to get a little bit of experience with what their engineers are doing. And I actually think that that's uh, perfectly, I, I support that use of our workshops. I think that raising sort of the ambient level of tech awareness among the women that are at tech companies, even if they're not going to become engineers, is a worthwhile thing. So, Sarah, part of your answer was that uh, you already have traction um, and Chuck's question was kind of like, how do you get traction? And I'm going to, I'm going to circle back and pin you down on that a little bit because, sure. uh, my next question is, um, very, very, uh, specifically personal, uh, to me is that I want to get started with RailsBridge. I want to start putting these on out here in Utah and we don't have a lot of traction. Um, right. how do we, st- so two, so question in two parts. One is how do we get traction bringing people out? And so the second one is I'm a white dude in Utah. Um, how do I get started with RailsBridge? How do I help foster this? How do I put on an event um, and make this happen? Uh, well, to come back to, to, I think I misunderstood your question a little bit earlier. Um, okay. So uh, the traction question. I think that uh, when we were first getting started, we had a lot of people, uh, people, men from the community who brought their significant others or their sisters or their mom or you know, that kind of stuff. So a lot of our initial students were uh, somehow related to people that were already in the community. And you'd be surprised how many wives, for example, want to know what their husbands are doing, or at least want a little bit of experience with it. Uh, and that is brilliant. Uh, so that's, 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 for me, I think that's the best way to start. I think reaching out to the community you have and saying, look, I know you've got a woman in your life somewhere that wants to check this out. So why don't you bring her to this event? Mm-hmm. And in terms of getting started, in terms of doing a workshop in your area, um, we've been trying to release all of our stuff, like I said before, as uh, release all of our notes on how we do it. We found that it's not, it's not really sufficient, that, that there's something missing that you can't really pick up from reading about what we do for some reason. And so we've had a lot of success with having people come and observe uh, one of our workshops or you know, observe one that's, near, that's at a conference that they're nearby to. Mm-hmm. And so that they get a feeling for what it is. And then at that point, I think the written materials are really useful that talk about what to look for in a space, what you need in terms of volunteers, uh, what types of problems you'll run into installing rails on people's machines and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's like the bird flu. Go somewhere and get infected, then go home and spread it. Exactly. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. So I'm also wondering, have you interacted with other organizations that do the same kind of thing? I mean, um, I talked in, I think it was in March, I talked to uh, Heather Payne from Ladies Learning Code. Mm -hmm. Do do you ever like collaborate with each other and put things on or? We do. It's it's a pretty small community. I mean, the Rails community in general is pretty small. The the development community even, I would say, is pretty small. We all kind of know each other. There's there's uh, an organization called PyStar, which is doing something very similar for Python. There's there's an organization called Confident Coding, I think. Confident Coding that is doing something like this for JavaScript. And uh, we also have, within San Francisco, we also have the Women Who Code group. We have... uh, I don't know, a few other groups, I think. We have a Black Black Girls Code. Code. Yeah, yeah. And so we've been doing, trying to 
you know, we've certainly been trying to do joint events. We've been moving people back and forth and doing talks at each other's things and trying to get, because I think that um, one of the things that RailsBridge hasn't done that well is help people follow up. So once they take the workshop, what's the next step? And so it's been really good for us to interact with some of these other groups because we can say, oh, well, what you should do is you should go to the ladies who code meetup next week, or you should go to this meetup that's happening uh, for black girls code, or you should volunteer at this class that they're teaching. So, uh, so that kind of stuff has been really good for us to, to, to complement, I guess, what we do. I'm curious that, uh, in terms of numbers. I, I remember when, uh, when, when RailsBridge got started, one of the uh, specific goals you had was that um, like half the attendees at, Golden, at Gogoruko would be women. And I you still you know, have that goal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I, I can't give you numbers on our registration at this point, but we're not quite there yet. Yeah. Yeah. The, I, however, I, th- I think, I think it is making progress. I think the, the sign up so far is uh, the number of women there is probably double the rate of our first Golden Gate Ruby conference. Yeah. The first one, there were six of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, there's, there's many more than that signed up now. <laughs> It's <laughs> and and, uh, it, and yeah, I, I think uh, you know part of that is is definitely what's going on with Railsbridge and the fact that there are just more women in the community. So, the, and you know, there's more speakers. Uh, the 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 thing that uh, that that disappointed me a bit this year was that uh, our set of speakers was so white. But mm, yeah, yeah. Maybe we should work with Black Girls Code and see what we can. And see what we can do for next year. Okay. So, Sarah, maybe you could talk a little bit about, uh, like, the, I don't know, the, the challenges that you've been uh, facing or dealing with and where are the uh, directions that you're focusing your efforts now? Um, so or, or is that too vague? Well, <laughs> I guess that means I can interpret it however I want, right? <laughs> Softball um. question. <laughs> I like the way you think. <laughs> that doesn't work with my clients, by the way. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> um, I think, so one of the things that we've been really trying to do is make it uh, make it so that the organization doesn't depend on any one person running it. Uh, there's a book called the, I think it's called The Starfish and the Spider, which is about leaderless organizations and how the starfish, you know, you cut a starfish into pieces and each one grows a new starfish, right? And it's sort of the, it's the same uh, methodology that like Alcoholics Anonymous runs, which is basically like anyone can just decide to start a group and call it Alcoholics Anonymous. And as long as they're doing the, th- the steps that are in the book, like that's what they want you to do. That's the goal of the organization. And so we're trying to adopt a similar strategy where we really want people to try it out and, uh, and do a, do a, do a rails bridge workshop if they want to. And we've, tried to, to lay down in some of our materials what it is that makes a RailsBridge workshop a RailsBridge workshop. And that's definitely a work in progress that we're getting a lot of great feedback on, actually. So that's been good. But so organizationally, we're trying to make it so that we can, uh, so that Sarah Allen and I can be not necessarily critical to the organization itself, <laughs> which is actually a pretty, pretty tough thing to do. Sarah, have you, I think Dr. Nick's given a talk uh, several times about uh, the groups that uh, teach you how to do speeches and stuff. I think it's Toastmasters, yeah. um, and they mm-hmm. they do that really well. Uh, like they 
they literally, you know, have this group and they basically teach you how to go out and run a Toastmasters group and, and just kind of spread virally like that. And he talks about how he thinks our uh, Ruby and Rails communities should adopt that strategy, that that's the winning strategy. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know Toastmasters did that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's also interesting to me that, you know, you have these different types of meetups. It seems like most of the, like, just the user groups that I go to are pretty, you know, they all follow the same format where you have a couple of guys um, that have prepared some topic that they're going to talk about. They get up, they walk through their slides, maybe do a little live coding, and, and that's it. And so, you know, I, the, the idea of kind of doing a workshop is, is it kind of gives a different flavor to uh, a community event. And, and I think it'll be interesting to see, see where it goes. I'm, I'm with Dave on uh, really wanting to see something like that come here to Utah and, and, and see things benefit there. Yeah. We're trying to make it easier to start your organization, so we would love to have your feedback on how, that, <laughs> how it works, if it works. Um, we do have a decent amount of sponsorship money available that we can put towards events. We've got a really, we got a really generous donation from Heroku and a few other companies. So we're trying to figure out like, how can we, how can we spread this geographically? How can we spread this to other communities that we're not currently serving? Yeah. So those are our expansion plans. <laughs> well, it's, it's an interesting thing too, not just from the sense of diversifying the community, but uh, as, as you probably see in San Francisco and as we definitely see out here in Utah as well, um, there are way more jobs way more seats for people to sit down and code for a living than there are people who will actually do it. Um, oh, definitely. You know, the, there, there is just a, a huge shortage of, of uh, technologists who can get in and do the work in rails. And, and so we would benefit from in that way too. Um, and I, and I worry a little bit sometimes that because there is such a high demand for Ruby and rails developers, and uh, that, that some companies might actually move away from it, not because of the technology, but because they can't find enough people to do the job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought about that, too. I, I, we definitely I've seen people do that, too. Yeah, I've seen companies yeah, do that. Yeah. I mean, in, in San Francisco, I get, I don't know, probably two or three recruiting emails a day for companies in the city. That doesn't even include companies in the valley. Mm-hmm. And uh, we do see a lot of there's, there's been a program uh, running in San Francisco. I think it's called Dev Boot Camp where the idea is that they'll uh, teach you Rails, but they also teach you TDD and pair programming and sort of the agile way of doing things in addition to the technology. And at the end of eight weeks, they try to place you as a junior developer, and that's how they make their money is by uh, using the referral fees that they get for the, um, the placements. And uh, they also charge tuition. I believe how it works is that if they place you, then they refund part of your tuition from the, from the fee that they get. And uh, so they've had a lot of interest in that program. I think they had uh, heard something like they had 40 slots and like 300 people applying for it. So it's not that there's a lack of people that want to do this, but I feel like there's a lack of a road, a clear road to go from I want to do this to actually doing it. Well, that's an almost inherent in just like the Ruby ecosystem, right? I mean, because there's like an infinite number. There's not just a hundred ways to skin a cat. There's an infinite number of ways to skin a cat. And sometimes that can lead to, you know, optional pluralysis. Um, mm-hmm. but, at, but at the same time, it's what has enabled us as a community to get really, really offended at a pornographic talk and say, you know what, as a community, why don't we just put a stop to sexism? And right. I really think those are those go hand in hand. 
Um, I, I agree. I think that the the Ruby community is is really awesome. There are a lot of communities where that kind of thing happens, and it just kind of nothing. Ever, no one ever says anything. It kind of fades into the ether. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's one of the reasons why I'm so interested in keeping it around. <laughs> it's certainly an, it's an amazing collection of people mm-hmm. and personalities and, you know, sometimes conflicting, but it's it's always interesting, that's for sure. Yeah. And I think that, uh, um, you know, I wouldn't be bringing women into this program, into, into the Ruby community if I thought I was bringing them somewhere hostile or, or unwelcoming. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, so I was at uh, Steel City RubyConf last week, uh, which was... Excellent. It was, especially for a first year conference, they did an amazing job with it. Um, I'm looking forward to going back next year. Uh, the, and the one of the things that really struck me about the conference was just that the uh, the focus on diversity was uh, really obvious. It was just the feel of that conference was really uh, different from a lot of other conferences I've been to. I think part of it was that like the main organizer was a woman. So she definitely had the perspective of keeping an eye out for various things. But the, the content of the, of the program, there were all of these talks that weren't about writing code. They were about being someone as who's part of our community. And that's interesting. Yeah. So they had a whole talk about social justice and, you know, the, like a DSL for social justice and how do you talk and communicate about these concepts effectively? Huh. You know, the, the, awesome. the, 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 uh, the talk that I remember, well, not the talk that I remember, the talk that I liked best from the first Golden Gate Ruby conference was, uh, was the one about, uh, going to Africa and writing Rails apps to help them manage their health care. Yeah, yeah, that was Jackie Mars' talk uh, That's about right. about going to uh, I think it was Malawi, mm-hmm. where she she spent a summer doing open source hacking there. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff. I just love that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the only conference talk I've ever seen that brought tears to people's eyes. Yeah, that was that was pretty awesome. The, but anyway, back to Steel City. I just the the whole vibe at the conference was really like. It was a really different vibe than I'm used to from from conferences. I'm not saying other conferences had bad vibes. You know, you know, I go to a Ruby conference and I always feel like I'm at home and that there's a group of friends and all that. But I think maybe more people felt that way at this conference. And, That's interesting. And, How do you think they did that? Um, well, they had a, a an anti-harassment policy that featured prominently in their website, in their communications. That was and the first thing I heard about them, actually. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, so I, I think that set the tone, or, or helped to set the tone. And then the, you know, there was a you know a, a diverse set of speakers, and the the content of the program they uh, they crafted it to address a lot of these issues. And and then I don't know what they did in terms of community outreach or where they advertised the conference, uh, but just the group that, of people that I saw there. It was a. It seemed pretty diverse. It wasn't just like a, a bunch of the the you know Silicon Valley uh, programmer dudes that I'm used to seeing there. So it was, it was yeah, it was a, it was pretty cool. Maybe that's just like what what the Pittsburgh area is like in terms of the programmer demographic there. It could be. I'm not familiar with uh, with what things are like in that area. I think that's a great sign of change, though, that we can get together and 
I mean, yeah, we should talk about programming, but, you know, that's only one side of what we do. And especially in terms of like community and stuff, you know, if we can't interact with each other well and avoid saying stupid or alienating things or, you know, stuff like that, then then uh, that's not cool. So it's it's great for us to also talk about those sides of things. Mm. You know? Well, and, and I think it's interesting, too. I just want to point out that, I mean, if it weren't for the Ruby community, I would probably be working in another community that was fun and interesting, you know, similar to what, what we have here. I mean, you know, the, the Ruby programming language is terrific and, and don't get me wrong. I love it, but you know, honestly it, it's, it's the personal interactions for me that really, really sell the, the, um, sell the language. It's, it's the ability to get in and, and learn from smart people and, you know, kind of become better and, and all of the things that you get from the community. And so when, when we're talking about it, yeah, you know, talking about code is one thing and it's important that we all get better at that, but, you know, we, we want to build this community into the thing that we, we ultimately um, see that will get us to where we want to be. Yeah, yeah. The community is kind of one of the killer features of Ruby, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, now, Sarah, when, um, when you, RailsBridge has like sponsors, right? And they have commu- mm-hmm. uh, companies that they interact with. Is there ever any sort of like sales pitch that you make to them about the value of diversity and why it's worth them investing in that. Uh, that would probably be a good idea for us to put something like that together. Okay. <laughs> we're, uh, I mean, we're a bunch of programmers and I think the thing that we do the least well is, is communicate with people about what we're doing and why we're doing it. Uh, although maybe actually event planning might be our, <laughs> our worst <laughs> part of doing it. But I, definitely the PR and, and the explanation aspect are things that we are trying to improve. I mean, I think when we do talk to companies, um, we tend to, uh, a lot of companies kind of uh, have already th- decided that they want to have more women in their, in their development team, and that's why they're talking to us at all. So I think that uh, we generally don't have to make the argument that they need this. Generally, we need to instead just try and figure out, you know, what, what do they, how can we help them find the people that they want to find as part of their sponsorship? Uh, and, but I've been surprised actually that, uh, and that maybe, maybe that is more of a San Francisco thing, and maybe that's not so common in other parts of the country. Uh, but I've, one of the, I went to a conference uh, about a year ago now in New York, and there was some really interesting, it was actually a social science research conference, and they were presenting uh, current research on gender and diversity and creativity. And one of the interesting things they talked about was the fact that if, you're, if you have a team of people solving a problem, and one team uh, has visual diversity to it, meaning uh, gender diversity, racial diversity, to a lesser extent class diversity, uh, then even if they look on paper like they're not as qualified as the other teams, they will do better in the problem-solving process. And uh, the theory there is that when you are interacting with people who look different from you that you're not used to seeing, it gets your brain out of the same old, same old everyday groove and gets you into a more creative space because your brain is already kind of out of its normal thing. And it, it, it helps you, uh, the way they put it was it helps you think outside the box because you're already a little bit outside of it when you're interacting with people that are, and look different from you. Mm-hmm. And you get outside the monoculture, suddenly things that there aren't, there aren't as many things that are just automatically out of scope. Right. 
Yeah. yeah. Plus those people bring different biases to the table, right? So they, they're coming, they're looking at the problem through a different lens. So they challenge your thinking and et cetera. I, I was hoping I could just add that flair by showing up dressed up as Darth Maul. <laughs> that usually works. Yeah, I think that worked too. Well, you know, some of us are Jedi, some of us are Sith. That's just the way it is, right? <laughs> Sarah, one of the things that uh, that I've heard is that teams that have diversity on them already find it easier to hire. Yeah, I think that's the it's easiest not to be first syndrome. Mm-hmm. Uh, can can I it's clarify also, something for a minute? Sure. It, they find it easier to hire in general or easier to yes. hire people who fit that kind of minority whatever. Well, it turns out that both men and women prefer to work on balanced teams. Okay. So, so you know, hiring people becomes easier if it's not a monoculture. Hmm. Okay, I'll, I'll let Sarah finish what she was saying. Sorry, I just wanted to clarify that. No, good, no worries. Good point, though. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense to me personally, and I think there there is some research to back that up, especially like, like I mentioned before, that if you've got a visible founder on your team who is female, it's much easier to find, to develop a a balanced engineering culture. And I think that that's also true that you sort of get a, you get a critical mass at some point, I feel like, in some organizations where it's just like, okay, now we're like, we may not be balanced, but at least we're like, it feels a little more normal, like a little more like real life. And uh, that feels good. It feels good to to work on teams that are not um, all the same as me. So I'm, I'm curious to take the topic in kind of a different direction. We've talked a lot about getting traction and how to get people there and stuff like that. But I'm just curious, when you do the Rails Bridge workshops and such, do you do anything differently knowing that you have a diverse audience? You mean do I do it differently from how I would teach uh, a sort of more <laughs> typical <laughs> Ruby audience? Right, exactly. Uh, no, I, I think that what we do, what we do is very individual. What we try to do is, is put people in very small groups with other students that have similar backgrounds. So if we've got three PHP people, we'll put them with one, we'll put them all together with one teacher. If we have, you know, six graphic designers, we'll put them together with one teacher. And we encourage our teachers to, to go off the rails, so to speak, to, to explore the curriculum in terms of whatever their group of students is actually interested in. And uh, we try to make it so that uh, so that people really enjoy what they're doing, so that they feel like they're actually making something. And I think I think everyone likes to make stuff. Uh, one of the things that we do is we we make sure that we, we use Heroku and we make sure that you push your your app out, even if it doesn't really do anything. Push your app out to Heroku before lunch, <laughs> in theory. And uh, the nice thing about that is like a lot of people have never done something like that before. And now they've got a, a website with its own URL that they can like show their friends. Uh, and I think that that has a broad base of appeal to lots of different types of people. It it's, it's might be a little bit different, I guess, from, from how traditional programming is taught. But I do think that it is uh, that a lot of people seem to like that method. Nice. So I, I want to ask, um, and, and this is going to take us off topic a little bit. We've talked a lot about the workshops. What are the other aspects of RailsBridge? Because I know that there's more there than just the workshops. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have some projects that have been active recently. We have the uh, we had the the Rails Bug Mash, which uh, we haven't had one of those for a little while, but 
the organizer's still around. We, uh, and one of the interesting things about that is that there's a um, Santiago Pastorino who's on Rails Core got his first commit to Rails through the bug mash, one of our bug mashes. <laughs> and now he's on Rails Core, so there we go. Uh, yeah. And we're trying to also, we're trying to develop programs that will help us, um, help us get more people in. And uh, we've been focusing, like, as you said, mostly on the workshops, um, both organizationally and I guess also today when we're uh, in the podcast. Um, but we do have, we're, we're actually open to, to taking other projects under our wing. It's, it's more like the way that we work is that if someone is interested in doing a project and it looks like it you know, fits our mission broadly enough, uh, then we'll, they can do that under our name if they want to and we can help them find sponsors and things like that. So we've had a lot of sort of one-off uh, projects that happen, workshops and, and other things and, and events. And so if you're, if you have a project that you're thinking about, <laughs> that seems like it might be a fit for the type of thing we're trying to do that broadly speaking, I guess, tries to bring more people into the Rails community, then um, we can help with organizational and, and sponsorship and stuff like that. All right, cool. So I've got another off topic question. Um, and I'm going to try and, f- this is a tricky question for me to phrase, uh, which will become evident. And the reason why it will become evident is I figure out how to ask it. Um, there is, as, as two cultures begin to assimilate each other, um, at, at the outset, there's this sense of alienness, right? And we, we, we got that, the Borg. um, yeah, the Borg. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, like there's. I've been very quiet during this episode, and everyone knows that I'm a spaz, right? And I have got just all these jokes in my head going through, and I'm like, nope, that's a dick joke. Nope, that's a fart joke. Nope, that's another dick joke. And and I'm like, I'm still running, consciously running the rules of, you can't do that because there's a lady on the show. There's, you know, it's, it's you know, and it's, it's that's sexist or that's just coarse. You know what I mean? Um, there's a point when the communities have assimilated enough that suddenly the other person is a real person. And there's, I had it described to me really well uh, back in the sixties of uh, one of my professors uh, was in a band with, and they had a black bassist and they were waiting for the bus and the bassist dropped his, uh, his bass on uh, this professor who was white, dropped it on his foot very consciously, slowly, and deliberately. And this professor turned to me, he's like, ow, damn it, why the hell did you do that, you son of a bitch? And the black guy looked at him and he said, thank you for swearing, for finally treating me like a real person instead of tiptoeing around me. And so my question is, how do you know when you've kind of reached that point of where suddenly everyone is treating like treating everyone else like real people and the second question is, how do you get people through that alienness? You know, that like, how do you get them to embrace that alienness so that they can come through the other side, and 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 you know, do you know what I mean? And the the, mm-hmm. the melting the melting pot can kind of start to make a potpourri instead of uh, this this segregated amalgam. Surgical yeah. implants. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely solution number one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a really interesting question. There's one of the things I was thinking about uh, when, whenever we have one of these sort of incidents where, where we've got porn in a, in, a, in a talk, one of the things I think about is like if that guy got up in front of an audience that was 50% women 
I don't think he'd give that talk. Mm-hmm. I think part of the reason why these talks continue to pop up once in a while is that people aren't, they come to a, they come to a conference and they see a lot of men. And so that puts them into a particular frame of mind. And so I think mm-hmm. that just association and just being around each other mm-hmm. is what gets us through that alien period. And mm-hmm. I, I do feel, I definitely agree with you, we're definitely in that alien period and I can feel it every time I go to a conference and people stop swearing when I walk up to the, the circle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Same deal. And, you know, and, and I think we're just, we're still in that, we're still in that phase. And, and I would, I I'm not sure what I can do or what we can do to, to hurry us through it other than talk about it. I think explicitly talking about it is very, very helpful. So I'm really glad you brought it up. So, so, so are, you saying, are we saying that there's three phases here? There's the phase where you walk up to a group of guys who are, you know, who are, you know, talking like in their, they're in the locker room and they ignore the fact that there's a woman present and keep talking that way. Phase two is you walk up and they and they realize that what they're saying isn't appropriate and like all shut down their conversation and look awkward and then phase 3 is they just never have that conversation i think that's a uh, yeah that's a great way to put it <laughs> I, I would say phase 3 is they the conversation shifts to something that is valid and in scope in, in other words the you you go from telling dick and fart jokes to stop talking to let's have a conversation that's appropriate for this context. And I, I, I may be phrasing it badly. Um, well, uh, on the other I, hand, I would like to get to the point where, where we can, where we can be a, a big part of the Ruby community for me is, is not necessarily the technical aspects of it. It's the, you know, it's the going to bars after the conference part, right? Right. Or, or, mm. or going somewhere and being social with people. And uh, I would like to get to the point where that's possible in mixed groups. It's, I mean, it, it's certainly possible right now, but it's, it, I feel like uh, a lot of times that's not what happens. Like a lot of times people go out with the people they already know or, or something like that. So it's, but I would, I would really like to get to the point where everyone feels comfortable enough around people that are different from them. And uh, so that we can, you know, so that we can all swear together. And, <laughs> and I think that uh, right. we'll get there. We'll get there. But I think that we have to try. One of the reasons that, that I'm trying to do this is so that we can, so that someday I can actually go up to the speaker podium and look out at a, at a set of, of conference attendees that are half women. Because I think yeah. that really does, it just does, it changes, uh, like we've, I think some of you have been saying already, it changes the feeling of the room. It changes the feeling of, of who's there and what's going on, uh, in my opinion, in a positive way. Yeah. Yeah, Angela. I mean, if, I, if I look out and, and the room is half women, that's going to be awesome. But if I look out and the room is half Dell users, I mean, I'm leaving. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> there's diversity and then there's, yeah. There, those aren't people. Those aren't right. people. You can go too far. You know? I, I laughed at Mountain West RubyConf this year because Angela Harms stood up in her talk and she dropped about four or five F-bombs. And on the third one, she covered her mouth demurely and said, oh, there are ladies present. <laughs> That's definitely really, a good way to disarm it. Yeah, she's really good at that. Actually, she will usually tell like a, you know, a, a typical guy-like joke, you know, mm-hmm. or something, and in a in a way to assert that you know she's here, she's part of this too, and I like that about her. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and I think I think part of what going back to what Dave was talking about for a minute, it it really, I, I don't know. I mean. For for a long time, I mean, even the guys on this show, I kind of saw is that 
that Ruby guy, you know, that expert guy that, that was kind of intimidating or this or that, you know, and, and I think we kind of have the same thing in a different way with, with the people that we don't know that are different in the community. And really, I, I think what we need to do is, is just kind of humanize and the, the people that, that are out there, you know, and so the person that is, that is a little bit different, you know, ethnically or, you know, is, is different, you know, because they're a different gender or whatever, um, you know, their lifestyle, what, you know, anything that you may know about them, you know, we, we tend to categorize people and it's not until we kind of get to know those people that we really become familiar enough with them to, to treat them like, you know, just a regular member of the community or a friend. And the thing, the, the issue is, is that, you know, even when we categorize people or even when we, you know, it's, it's really hard to know because some women are like Angela Harms and you can drop an F-bomb and she could care less. And then there are other people out there or other, you know, men and women where if, if you're using that kind of language, it, they find it highly offensive. And so there's just really no way to know. And so, you know, figuring out where that line is, is, is different for everybody. But if, if you kind of treat everybody like they're there and they're there for the same reasons you are, and, you know, they're interested in some of the same things you are, and they just get to know them, a lot of times you can figure out where that line is, and then you can act appropriately to that. Yeah. You start to be able to discriminate between dick jokes and misogynist jokes. <laughs> right. Exactly. Which is, yeah. And, that, and that's kind of a big deal, too, that, that, you know, discrimination. I think a lot of the confusion that I see... Um, you know, and people that are upset by, by, upset by reaction, you know, by reaction to misogyny or, or, you know, whatever other kind of, of, um, isms is, you know, just not understanding that there's a difference between, like you say, you know, a dick joke and something that's, that's genuinely, you know, not just offensive, but, um, you know, I think, I think Steve Klavnik would say, you know, oppressive, um, I would use the and term alienating. <laughs> alienating. That's 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 a, yeah. That's actually an excellent term um, because I do think that that oppressive is kind of a strong word that maybe needs to be reserved for um, <clears throat> for certain instances. But right, but, you but know, it's still demeaning. But yeah, we're we're alienating. I think alien. Yeah. You're right. Alienating is an excellent word. Well, and um, Steve, you know, Steve used that word very carefully because if you alienate a white dude, um, he's got 90% of the technical culture to go back to. If you alienate a black woman, she's alone. And that's, yeah. I think that's what he meant by oppressive. Yeah, if, if, that's, that's a good way of putting it. He, he's gonna, the white dude is going gonna, is gonna to cry all the way to the bar and, and, and forget about it. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it's that, that it, you know, there, there is a difference between just being coarse, which, you know, we sometimes are in this community and in saying things which make people feel uncomfortable, you know, feel uncomfortable, feel, um, left out, um, feel like, you know, they're not part of, of the group, you know, um, and, uh, and, and that's something that you can learn to, to differentiate. Mm -hmm. Now, what, one of the things that, uh, that I, I realized earlier this year, I, w I was at, um, Mountain West, and there was that uh, ridiculous Pinterest for dudes lightning talk that was uh, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, actually got David up on stage, <laughs> but uh, to try and try and handle Cred that. Credit where it's due, Josh. I would not have had the courage to do that had you and Angela Harms not uh, convinced me that that was necessary. I was totally con I was totally content to sit there and just let it go by. Well, good for you for stepping up, man. But the, the part of what came out of that conversation was uh, some of the tweeting back and forth. Uh, somebody was saying, you know, 
you know, how are we supposed to deal with this stuff and like always censoring what we're saying and worrying about people's reactions, et cetera. And my response to that was, and, and I kind of surprised myself saying it is, and, and now I, I like that position, it's, uh, is that if you change the way you think about things, you really don't have to think about censoring what you're saying. Right. That, that, you know, you know ch- change your thinking, that'll change what, it nat- it'll just naturally change what your thoughts and, and, yeah. and speech and actions are. Yeah. If you don't think of women as being significantly different or less than, or, you know, less capable than male developers, then, you know, you, then you don't have to worry about, oh, am I going to say something that is, you know, alienating to women developers? Yeah. That implies that they're, you know, that they're less capable. Yeah. yeah and, and, and that's completely true. I mean, if you go into most of us don't have a problem, you know, when we go into a corporate boardroom, we're not like, oh, man, should I tell people about my bowel movement this morning or not? You know, I yes, mean, we oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> yes. exactly. Thanks, Dave. David, <laughs> David <Brady> excluded. <laughs> most of us. I feel oppressed. It's not like we're constantly like, you know, trying to figure out stuff like that because because most of us have learned to think in a way, you know, we just sort of naturally understand, um, you know, what what it constitutes professional speech. Well, the other thing is, is I think people um, they, they make the assumption of what. So, for example, in the development teams that I've been in, you know, it's been very comfortable. And uh, in, in some cases, you know, you could be, you know actually extremely crude or crass and uh you know it was funny and it was all cool and and i think some people kind of just extend that out to the community not realizing that there are other types out there and so while you're you know while you're adapting the way you think and the way you perceive the community um at the same time i mean just just be aware you know just think think about who might be there and and what the ways that they might construe what you're saying Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it comes down to being aware of the privilege that you have. You know, I have privilege as a white person, um, but I don't have gender privilege, but I can sort of use that to think about, okay, so if I've got, um, it, what can I, and I've used that to sort of influence my thinking in terms of how I talk about people of color and things like that and people of different genders. Uh, and because there are gender minorities even beyond sort of the difference between women and men, right? And we've mm-hmm. been trying to welcome all types of people to 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 um, to our workshops, yeah. and a lot of it is is just thinking about it a little bit about you know coming thinking about it from the from the point of view of a of what privilege do I have that might be influencing what I'm saying, and if you think about that, then I think as you said over time, it's just it it provokes a natural change in in how you speak. Mm-hmm. I think I would temper what Josh said with by saying there there's equal parts. Um, all humor is contextual. Um, I'm going to go have lunch today with, um, uh, three people, all four of us. The reason we're getting together to have lunch is we all have anxiety disorder and there's going to be some comments and some humor made that is very,